I find uh, Jesus' vision for God's kingdom burdensome. I find it a great burden because as good as this vision is, I don't think I'm ever going to be good enough to be able to live it out. Now, don't get me wrong, I know actually that I'm a part of God's kingdom uh, because of his grace, right? It's a gift to me. It's not because of my works in being merciful enough or humble enough or generous enough. It's because of Christ's work on the cross. It's a gift of God's grace that I'm a part of this kingdom. And yet, as someone who is already a citizen of God's kingdom, I've got to be a faithful citizen. I'm called to be a worthy citizen. As someone who's already a child of God, I'm called to be like my heavenly father. I'm called to imitate him, to live like him. In short, I actually am called to live out Jesus' vision for God's kingdom, this vision in the Sermon on the Mount. And as I look on the Sermon on the Mount, at the Sermon on the Mount, I'm not sure I can do it. Right? As Jesus said right at the start of his sermon, I came into God's kingdom with nothing in my hands. I'm very conscious that I'm poor in spirit. I've got nothing to offer. I I'm really am desperate for God's help. And so we come to today's passage. How do we get God's help? But by praying. That's why these verses about prayer are right here towards the end of Jesus' sermon. We, we, we're conscious of our need. We're desperate for God's help. We've heard the rest of the sermon. Uh, we fall on our knees and cry out to our God. We need your help to live out this vision. Uh, now, this passage isn't everything Jesus had to say about prayer. Uh, we've already looked at some stuff about prayer in the Sermon on the Mount. And it's certainly not everything the Bible has to say about prayer. Right? But here, Jesus' uh, simple point is that we can pray with perseverance and confidence because our Heavenly Father is both great and good. Perseverance and confidence because our Heavenly Father is both great and good. So that we're going to spend most of our time looking at those points. But before we get to those points, uh, we've first got to remind ourselves of who this passage is addressed to. Who's Jesus talking to in this passage? That's important, right? This passage has a, has a bunch of promises. I don't know if you notice that. A whole lot of promises about prayer. Uh, but who are the promises made to? Right? Who, who are the yous in this passage? You notice Jesus, he says, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be open to you. Who, who are these yous? Well, it, it's Jesus' disciples. It's the people who are already God's children. The people, remember back in Matthew 6, Jesus taught his disciples to pray to their Father in heaven. Right? These are God's children. And that's important because it reminds us that these promises about prayer are only made to God's children. They're not made to everyone. They're not made to Muslims or Buddhists or, or the average uh, irreligious person in the street. They're made to God's children. It's a people whose hearts have been renewed by God's Spirit. So spiritually speaking, they're born again. They're a new person. They're, they're a child of God. As some of you might know that, that at our house, I, I have an office. Uh, and, uh, at the, and generally speaking, if you want to come into my office, you want to have a chat about something, uh, you call up, we make a time, we, an appointment in the diary, uh, and we have a chat. You know, no worries. I try to be as flexible as possible. Uh, but the point is that you do not have access to me whenever you want. As if you'd want that, right? But, but uh, you know, like you, you, there's certain times and places when you're allowed to come into my office. But for my children, it's different. I mean, there are some with us. Let me just put the illustration, push the illustrations too far. But, but my children, generally speaking, they can bowl into my office whenever they want. My, my, my kids have, have special access privileges. 
As my kids, I'm always ready to hear their stories, whether they be happy, whether they be sad, whether they're just plain weird. I don't even know what they're talking about, but I'm, I'm delighted to hear my kids' stories. Right? They, they, they come into my presence, whatever they want. And likewise, if you want this special access to God, if you want the privilege of being able to talk to God whenever you want, if you want the assurance that, that God's not only going to hear your prayers, but answer your prayers for your good every single time, if you want that privilege, that assurance, you have to be one of God's kids. You have to be. You have to be a child of God. And I don't, want to be, I don't want to assume that's the case for everyone here today. You, you might be here today for the first time exploring Christianity and you're not a child of God. You, you don't even know what that means, right? So let me urge you today, what does it mean to become a child of God? Uh, there's a whole bunch of stuff I could say, but at least you have to trust that Christ died on the cross for your sins. Right? Not just for, for sin in general, not just for the sins of those really bad people, but for your sins, for every mistake that you've ever made and, and, you, and trust that Christ did that not only to save you from something, but not only to save you from, from being a rebellious child who was deserving of God's judgment, right? but he not only wanted to save you from something, he wanted to save you for something, right? to, to be one of God's precious children filled with his spirit with 24-7 access to his presence. That's what this passage is about. So you can cry out to your heavenly father whenever you want. You're a child of God crying out to your Father in heaven. That's the first thing. Right? The promises about prayer in this passage are not made to everyone. These are promises for Christians, for children of God. Uh, second thing uh, is that even if we are God's children, uh, if you want something, you still have to ask for it. You have to pray. Uh, maybe you think that's obvious, but, but I know plenty of people, including myself sometimes, uh, for whom praying is the last thing we do. Right? We plan, we work, we, we train, we organise, we strategize, we, we stress, we tear, we tear our hair out. Uh, and then maybe we think, oh yeah, I should pray about that. You know, like, that's what I do anyway. And uh, uh, in verse 7 of this passage, you see, it gives us an incredible promise. Ask and it will be given to you. But James chapter 4, verse 2 gives us the, the flip side, the rebuke. It says, you do not have because you do not ask. Actually, the point of both passages is the same. Our Heavenly Father is eager to give us good gifts, good gifts that are, that are promised in His Word, that are in line with His will. But so often we don't enjoy the good gifts because we don't ask for them. We just don't pray. A guy named R.A. Torrey, he wrote a book called The Power of Prayer. And in the book he says this. He says, um, uh, we do not live in a praying age. We live in, a, in an age of hustle and bustle, of man's efforts and man's determination, of man's confidence in himself and in his own power to achieve things. An age of human organisation and, and human machinery and human push and human scheming and human achievement, which in the things of God means no real achievement at all. Now, he's, probably, he's, he's actually a whole lot more critical than I would be of, of human organisation and strategy and, and scheme. I think there's a real place for that. There's a whole books in the Bible written about wisdom. Uh, but he's, he's still right. We don't live in a praying age. Often we do everything we can, everything we can think of uh, before it even crosses our mind to pray. So what about you? I'm wondering, uh, as you sit here today, what is it that you lack? What is it that you need? Uh, maybe you need some wisdom. 
Should I accept that job? Should I enter that relationship? Should I, should I change my uni course? Should I send my kids to that school? Should I give money to that cause? How, how, do, I, how do I go about parenting my son or daughter? I'm really struggling with that. Right? You, you need wisdom. Well, James 1 verse 5 says, If any of you lacks wisdom, you should ask God. Ask. Because he gives, James says, generously to all without finding fault and it will be given to you. So, so maybe, maybe we lack wisdom because we haven't asked for it. I don't know. The Bible encourages us to ask for wisdom. Oh, what about us as a church? What do, we, what do we need as a church? Well, lots of things. Oh, far from perfect. But, but something that we need is that if we're going to not only maintain our existing ministries but keep growing our ministries, uh, we need a, a whole lot more workers volunteers, we need leaders, we need lots and lots of feet on the ground. And what does Jesus say? He says, the harvest is plentiful, the workers are few, therefore ask the Lord of the harvest to send out workers into his harvest field. But how many of us are praying regularly that the Lord of the harvest, our Lord Jesus, would raise up workers, would raise up leaders? Maybe we've got a shortage of leaders because we're just not asking for them. Or maybe we're grieved by the fact that our, that our country is not hallowing our Father's name, to use the language of the Lord's Prayer, not honouring him as he deserves. Maybe we're grieved that our Father's kingdom seems to be losing ground rather than gaining ground, or that people are increasingly rejecting his will rather than doing his will. We're, we're grieved by those things. And our Father might say, but are you praying that my name would be hallowed, that my kingdom would come, that my will would be done, you see? You do not have because you do not ask. Or maybe as we look at everything that's come before these verses in the Sermon on the Mount and, and you're looking at your own life and you're thinking, gee, I, I lack humility. I, I'm not pure in heart. I struggle to forgive, to be merciful. I, I'm, I'm not much of a peacemaker at all. I'm full of all, all sorts of anger and bitterness. I, I, I don't really want to give to the needy because I'm a bit stingy and tight-fisted. I, I struggle to love my brothers and sisters in Christ, let alone my enemies. You know, like I, you look at the Sermon on the Mount and, and, and you're so conscious of what you lack. And that's why Jesus puts these verses here. He knows that, we're, he knows that we need much and he says, ask and it will be given to you. Ask and it will be given. We actually have to ask. You have to pray. And in these verses, Jesus gives us two big incentives to pray. Uh, the first, in verses 7 and 8, uh, is that he encourages, He says, you can pray with perseverance because your heavenly Father is great. Uh, let me read that again. Ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives. The one who seeks finds. And to the one who knocks, uh, the door will be opened. So notice how each of those verbs, ask, seek and knock, each of them uh, increases in intensity. Right? Asking, that, that's, that involves, you know, you become aware of something that you need and then you request it from someone else. You're asked for it. And usually there's someone who's greater than you in some way because they're able to provide for you what you need, you see. And seeking builds on that because seeking includes more action. Right? Seeking is about going out looking for someone. You're actively seeking someone who can help you with your need. And once you find the person, the picture is that you're kind of knocking on their door in desperation. You've got real commitment, real intensity to the task. 
Right, so this verse, these verses really give us a pretty intense picture of our prayers. Ask, seek, knock. It's escalating in intensity. What does Jesus mean when he talks about us seeking in our prayers? I think we get ask, you know, ask God for things. That's kind of, we get that in terms of prayer. What about seeking? I think lots of us read this and we think Jesus is talking about seeking God, right? In a kind of, even in a salvation sense. So he's saying, if you genuinely seek after God, you'll find God. But that's not what Jesus is saying. He's not saying that at all. God in Christ, do you remember Matthew chapter 4? God in Christ has already found these disciples. He's gone out and sought them. That's what he's done. So they already know him. These are already God's children, just like many of you are God's children. So what is it that we as God's children are seeking in our prayers? Well, if you've got a Bible... Uh, Flick back to Matthew chapter 6. Flick back to Matthew chapter 6, verse 33. Matthew 6, verse 33. Uh, Here Jesus, once again, talking to his disciples, Matthew 6, 33. uh, He uses that that word seek again. Same word, pretty well-known verse. He says, seek first uh, your heavenly Father's kingdom and his righteousness and all these things will be given to you as well. Seek What are we to seek in our prayers? We're to seek our Heavenly Father's kingdom. That's what we're seeking. As Jesus taught us to pray at the start of Matthew chapter 6, seeking that our Father's name would be hallowed, that his kingdom would come, that his will would be done. That's what children of God long for. That's what they yearn for. That's what they seek. That's what they're desperate for. So that's what we're seeking in our prayers the coming of our Father's kingdom. And what's this door we're knocking on? Once again, it's not the door of salvation. It's not that. As God's children, we're already in his presence. The door's been flung wide open by Jesus' death on the cross. It's not the door of salvation. I think this closed door is a metaphor for the obstacles we'll face as we seek to follow Christ. Next week we'll see that following Christ, you've got to go through the narrow gate. Right, it's a hard road, verse 13. Uh, you, you've got to walk the narrow path, verse 14. There's going to be lots of obstacles, lots of hardship, lots of points where you feel like the door is slammed shut in your face and, this is, and Jesus is saying, ask, uh, knock, and the doors will be open to you. You'll be able to keep walking that path. So that's, that's what this asking, seeking and knocking is all about. That's what we're praying for. But what I, what I want you to notice is just how effective our prayers are. But that's Jesus' encouragement. If you ask, it will be given to you. What, a, what an incredible assurance. If you seek, you, you will find. If you knock, uh, the door will be opened. Right? Your prayers really do make a difference. They're powerful. They're, they're incredibly effective, Jesus is saying. That's not saying we'll get everything you want, but it is saying that when we ask for things that are in line with God's will, when we seek the coming of his kingdom, when we knock on doors that are preventing us from following Christ more faithfully, more, more fruitfully, when we pray those kind of prayers, they will be effective. They're incredibly powerful. Not because there's something powerful or, or great about you or I, but because uh, the one we're praying to is great, you see. It's not about our prayers, it's about the one we're praying to. Well, remember the start of the Lord's Prayer. Well, we're not just praying to any father. It's not like my, my kids coming into me, sharing some stories. That's nice, but who am I? Like, I've got a small amount of influence, but not much. Right? But we're praying to, to our Father in heaven. 
our Father who created all things and rules all things, who's capable of all things. There's nothing impossible for your Father. He's great, he's mighty, he's powerful. So when you pray to him, your prayers really do make a difference. They're effective. Doors are opened. You find things. Things are given. Of course, that raises a question. Uh, the question is, uh, if our Heavenly Father's so great, why is it that so many of our prayers aren't answered? Right? I'll come back to, to this more later on, but one small part of the answer, right? just a small part, uh, it might be that we don't persevere in our prayers. Oh, I say that because in uh, Greek, which is the original language of this passage, uh, there are two kinds of commands. Right? There's one-off commands uh, that, like uh, shut the door or pick up the rubbish. Right? It's worded as a one-off command. And there, are, there are other commands that refer to repeated actions, like keep on shutting the door. Keep on picking up the rubbish. You know, get to it kind of thing. So it's implying ongoing kind of action. And the commands in these verses are that second type. They, they, they imply repetitive action, continuity, right? It could literally be translated as keep on asking, keep on seeking, keep on knocking. Right? Our Heavenly Father wants us to persevere in our prayers, and let me be clear here, it's not because he's too busy to hear your prayers or, or because he's reluctant or, or because you kind of need to nag him and, and badger him to get his attention or for him to hear your prayers. It's not because of that. It's because he wants you to give expression to your belief that he is great. He wants to use your prayers to achieve his purposes in his world. He wants your prayers to be full of faith that, that as you persevere that he can answer any prayer that you bring to him. And I think sometimes that kind of perseverance comes absolutely naturally to us. We keep praying when, uh, when someone we love is sick, uh, when we're uh, feeling uh, like we're under real financial pressure, when we're desperate for that new job, and when we don't want to fail that exam, when we've got that upcoming presentation coming up, we're terrified about it. Right? In, in those situations, I don't think we have any issue with persevering in prayer. Right? You can't stop us praying. Right? Because we're so conscious of our need, you see. We're so conscious that we just can't do this on our own, so we're praying all the time without, without ceasing, as Paul says in 1 Thessalonians. Right? But when it comes uh, to less crisis-driven prayers, at least things that we perceive to be less crisis-driven, uh, we tend to pray in fits and starts. But we don't tend to be on our knees kind of desperately praying for our growth as Christians. Maybe you are. By praying that you would hunger for holiness more, that you would long to put to death that sin more, that you would love your brothers and sisters in Christ more. Right? We're not persevering in prayer about those things, generally speaking. We're not praying in that kind of way for the growth of our brothers and sisters in Christ. We're not praying with perseverance that Christ would raise up workers for his harvest field, that more and more people would become Christians. In my experience, we pray for those kind of things in fits and starts. Every now and then... It's not that we don't pray about them at all, but we're not praying for them with perseverance, right? In part because we're just not as conscious of the need. We're very conscious of the amount of money in our bank account, but not so conscious of the amount of people who don't know Christ and are going to hell. 
you see. So that, that, that kind of perception and need is not at the forefront of our mind. So we don't pray with perseverance about those things. We pray for, with perseverance about the things that really burden us, so that are closest to our hearts, which is why in the Lord's Prayer, Jesus is trying to reorient our hearts. He's saying, as children of God, this is what you long for. Your, your needs are secondary. Your daily bread, lead us not into temptation. You can pray for those things, but let's reverse it. Like, let's flip it over. Let's spend more time persevering in prayer that uh, our Heavenly Father's name would be hallowed, that his kingdom would come, that his will would be done. But we don't tend to pray for those things uh, with perseverance. Uh, because we're not as conscious of the need, and even if we are conscious, uh, we're probably not convinced that our Heavenly Father's great. We kind of pray, in my experience, I'm speaking for myself, right? we, we pray as if God could save anyone, but he probably won't. God could help me to deal with this sin and experience more freedom, but he probably won't. So I, th- I think that's the kind of prayers we pray. And, and, and that means we, we, we get discouraged and we, we don't pray with, with perseverance. We're not deeply convinced that our Heavenly Father's great, that if we ask, we will receive, that if we seek, we'll find, if we knock, the door will be open for us. But Jesus is saying here, our Heavenly Father is great. He's our Father in heaven. So let me encourage you to to take these words to heart, to to pray with perseverance, knowing that your Heavenly Father is great and mighty and powerful. Of course, there's a whole lot more to be said than that. Uh, Because the truth is, even when we pray with perseverance to our great Heavenly Father, our prayers often still aren't answered. And that's very discouraging. It's very painful. Despite all your prayers, uh, maybe your parents died without coming to faith. Your child died before you had a chance to meet them. Your marriage fell apart. You still can't have kids. Like you're persevering on that front. You lost your job with virtually no explanation. You can't even find a job. This goes on, right? So we say to ourselves, well, my Heavenly Father might be great. He might be powerful, uh, but he can't be good. Because if he was, he would have answered this prayer. And I've got to be honest, I have no neat and tidy answer for that. Right? The problem of unanswered prayer. And I don't have a lot of time for the typical answers. And you know, perhaps you know some of the ones, like uh, here's one. Uh, look, I know God hasn't answered your prayer on that front, but it might seem like he hasn't answered, but maybe he just didn't answer in, in the way you expect. Has anyone had that before? I don't know, you've had it before. And there's some truth in that, of course. God's ways are not our ways. We don't understand everything. But let's be honest, it's not much comfort when you've been praying that a loved one uh, would live and they've died. It's hard to see how God's answered that prayer just in a way you didn't expect. But it's not much comfort when you've been praying that that someone you love would become a Christian and they haven't. Once again, it's hard to see how God's answered that prayer just in a way, you know, in his mysterious ways, right? It just seems evident that he hasn't answered it. Or maybe people make you the problem. God's not answering your prayer because you're praying outside of his will. Your, Your motives aren't pure. Uh, you haven't got enough of faith, or even out of today's passage, you, you haven't persevered in your prayers. 
Like how many hours a day are you really praying? And are you on your knees? Because like it's a bit soft to be praying walking around. Like God will answer your prayers if you're on your knees. Uh, if you've got calluses yet. Like, like seriously, get serious about it. Like, you know what I mean? Like you are the problem if God's not answering your prayers. Once again, there may be some truth in some of those things. But none of those answers are satisfactory. To be honest, I just don't know why God doesn't answer some prayers. I observe some people, they seem to be praying with great perseverance. They're they're praying for something that's clearly in line with God's will. They're full of faith and their prayers still aren't answered. So what do we do with that? How is it that we keep praying uh, in the midst of discouraging and painful unanswered prayer? Clearly it's not enough to know that your Heavenly Father's grace. Uh, you, You have to know deeply and profoundly that your Heavenly Father is good. You have to be convinced that he's good. And that's why verses 9 to 11 are here. Jesus says, Which of you, if your son asks for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a snake? Or uh, if you then, uh, though you are evil, notice how Jesus slips that in, that's pretty direct, you are evil, uh, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give good gifts to those who ask him? Right? Here's the point, like Father's Day, I am far from a perfect father, but if my son Charlie is hungry and he comes to me saying, Dad, can I have some bread? I will not give him a stone. Right? Certainly, I wouldn't give him a small stone that kind of looked like a piece of bread. Ha <laughs> joke's on you. You know, like what kind of evil, cruel, sadistic father would do that? Even I wouldn't do that. Like, that's the point, right? And if he came to me asking for some fish, as he does, not really, um, Mary Creek's not great for fish, but you know, if he came to me asking for some fish, I wouldn't give him a snake or, or some kind of snake-like fish, like an eel. You see, oh, I wouldn't do that, Jesus. And Jesus is right, I wouldn't do it. He's saying, if even, if even me, as a weak and sinful father whose heart is full of all kinds of evil desires, if even I'm eager to give good gifts to my son, how much more is our perfect Heavenly Father eager to give good gifts to us? That's the contrast. So Jesus is saying you can pray with confidence, with great assurance that your Heavenly Father is not only great and able to give you good gifts, but he's good and he's willing to give you good gifts. Right, so, but what do you do when he doesn't give you good gifts? Uh, especially good gifts that you really, really want which I know many of you here will be in that situation. Right? How, how do you know then that your heavenly Father is good? Right, some of you read these verses and you think, yeah, it's one thing for Jesus to tell us our heavenly Father's good, but, but that doesn't cut the mustard when I look at my life. When I look at the circumstances of my life and, and I look at this and this and this, and how can God be good when that's going on? And that's true. Right, this is the great trap that Satan wants us to fall into. He wants us to measure our Heavenly Father's goodness by the circumstances of our life. That's what he wants you to do. Right? If you measure God's goodness by the circumstances of your life, you will always doubt his goodness. Because most of the time, your life won't be that good. There'll be something that you can go, if God was good, this wouldn't, this wouldn't be the case. This wouldn't be the case. Right? So if that's your measure of God's goodness, you'll, you'll never be deeply convinced that he's good. Right? That's why it's so important that our Heavenly Father's given us another measure of his goodness. Right? The, the Christian cliche verse on this whole topic uh, is Romans chapter 8, verse 28. All right, you can flick over to it if you like, but Romans 8, verse 28, uh, the, the kind of 
It's in the context of suffering. Uh, but, you know, this is how it's usually delivered. Uh, you know, I, I know your mum or dad's just died. You've lost your job. Uh, you, you're still single. Your child's rejected Christ. You can't have kids. But, you know, chin up. Chin up. Because uh, you know that in all things God works for the good of those who love him. But that's how it's usually delivered, isn't it? And that's nice. That, that is very true. But how do you know that when everything in your life points the other direction? How do you know God's working for your good? How do you know he's for you, as Paul says in Romans chapter 8? Even in the midst of of discouraging and painful unanswered prayers. It's what Paul says a couple of verses later. Verse 32 is much more important, I think. Paul says, If God did not spare his own son but gave him up for us all, how much more will he not also, along with him, graciously give us all things? You see the measure of God's goodness that Paul's pointing to, the measure of his love. If you want to pray with perseverance and confidence, it's not enough to know that your Heavenly Father's great. You have to be convinced that he's good and you'll never be convinced he's good if you only look at the circumstances of your life. You've got to have something objective to focus on, something unchanging. Your life moves all the time, uh, but you, you have to actually focus on Christ. That's what Paul's saying in Romans 8. Focus on the fact that your Heavenly Father graciously gave his Son for you, for, for your sins. Right? That right there is your ultimate assurance of your Heavenly Father's goodness. It assures you that even if your life's a complete mess, even if you're suffering immensely, even if your Heavenly Father's not answering your, your absolutely desperate prayers, right, that the cross assures you that your Heavenly Father must have good and wise and loving reasons for allowing all of that to go on. Even if you've got no idea what those reasons are. I don't pretend to know what they are. But the cross tells you that God is for you. He's working for your good. And if there was any other way, he would do it. You can be assured of that. He's nailed his colours. This is my goodness for you. I've given my son for you. That's your measure of your heavenly father's goodness. So let me encourage you. uh, With your eyes fixed on the cross, thinking about Matthew 7, pray with perseverance knowing that your heavenly father is great Ask and it will be given. Seek and you'll find. Knock and the door will be open. He's great. And pray with confidence knowing that your heavenly Father is good. Let me pray. Uh, Gracious heavenly Father, I pray that these truths from uh, Matthew chapter 7 uh, would penetrate our hearts and take root deeply in our lives. I pray that you would make us individuals and a people who pray uh, with perseverance and confidence Uh, because we're deeply convinced that you're great and all things are possible for you and that you're good, uh, that you're working for us in all things. And we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.